On your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the second edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast, we catch up with former AFL commissioner Sam Mostyn, women's football development officer at the VAFA, Shona McInnes, the new women's coordinator at AFL Europe, Lisa Wilson, European Crusaders team member, Berenger Portel, and girlsplayfooty.com co-founder, Matt Marsden. All of that coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Peter Holden and welcome to the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. This is episode number two, season three. And of course, a reminder, you can download this podcast for free anytime by going to iTunes, just search for Girls Play Footy. And you can also find us on SoundCloud, just search for Girls Play Footy podcast. And now you can hear this very show on RSN Carnival, Wednesday evenings, 6pm. That's RSN Carnival, digital radio in Melbourne, Wednesday Wednesday evenings, 6pm. Tune in, don't miss out as you're uh, driving home from work. Time to jump right into our interviews and what a way to kick off the podcast with a very special guest, former AFL Commissioner Sam Moston. Sam, thank you very much for coming on our podcast. How are you? I'm very well. Couldn't be better after the weekend we've just had. Thanks, Peter. An extraordinary weekend, the first ever AFL Women's Round of Football. But before we talk about present day, we need to talk about how we got here. And of course, you're one of the key roles being a former commissioner uh, at the AFL. You joined in 2005. And I guess the question we have to ask is, how did that all come about? How did you become an AFL commissioner? Well, it was really through the foresight of the late um, Ron Evans, who was a former chairman of the AFL, who back in, I think, around about 2004, started to talk to the club presidents about the fact that it just didn't feel appropriate with half a fan base consisting of women and women all around the game, that there was no woman sitting in the commission and around the table helping to govern the game. So he instituted a process with the the club presidents um, to work out a way in which or a pathway for women to join the commission. And they had to go about it in a very particular way because there wasn't total agreement about actually appointing women to the commission. A lot of the guys at the time, I think, thought you just let this thing happen naturally. But Ron had great foresight and said, no, we have to make it happen. So they amended the constitution of the AFL to open up a position for a woman to be appointed specifically to that role. And after I was appointed, they then closed that so that it was the only time that they had a deliberate gender-only based appointment. Um, and Ron then ran a process with a number of the presidents um, and looked all around the country. There were 10 of us around the country, I think, that were approached and who went through um, a pretty exhaustive process, probably one that might have been a bit more um, um, telling about you know, where we were from and who we were than a lot of other appointments to footy boards. And in the end, it came down to a few of us, and I was just incredibly lucky to be the last woman standing um, to get that appointment in 2005. Leading into that, were you keen to get onto the commission or, or perhaps a bit hesitant, wondering, will you get shouted down or ignored because it's a, a predominantly male commission? To be honest, it hadn't even dawned on me that I should have an aspiration to be on the commission. And I guess that was part of the reason why Ron wanted a woman and then more women on the commission so that anyone who loved footy could have the same aspiration to be involved in the game at any level. So I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me. When I was rung by a headhunter about the fact that the commission was looking, I almost didn't put my name in the ring because I figured it was sort of such a long shot and maybe not the right thing to do. But it was my dad who said, um, when I asked for his advice, he said, 
you know, you've just got to, when you're given these opportunities, you just have to step up. And what's the worst thing that can happen? You go through a process, you meet a whole lot of really great people in football and you don't make it. Well, then you've learned a lesson um, and you might just get through. And so during that process, I learned, um, I think the other women um, who went through the process as well, I think we all thought during it, we just wanted to be on the commission by the end of it. We learned so much about what the commission had been doing, what its role is in the governance of the game. And it became the most thrilling moment when I was told I, as I was joining um, I was very conscious that joining a group of all men and then a group an even bigger group of all, all men with the presidents and the chief executives for the first couple of years um, that I had to find a way to get my voice up but I had to learn to listen a lot and understand the culture of football at that level before having an impact if we flash back to 2005 and 2006 in that era, women were only playing state league football. In fact, uh, the best they could hope for, and we spoke with Nicole Graves about this last year, is when they actually had a uh, Australian International Rules Tour of Ireland. That was probably the peak they could get. Um, yeah. So so what was, what was the vision back then, 10 years ago, looking to any idea of a women's competition? Well, to be honest, just over 10 years ago when I joined the commission... I've got to say, and this is no disrespect to my fellow commissioners at the time or the executive under Andrew Demetri at the time, it just wasn't it wasn't in scope. It just wasn't a topic about the future of the game. There were other things going on about the future of the game, including the kind of possibility of new clubs, which subsequently occurred. There was um, there was good work going on with a policy around respect and responsibility and the inclusion of women and the, the respectful treatment of women. But I've got to say, there wasn't a really an active conversation back then about the future of women's footy in a, in a serious way. I think everyone took for granted the state leagues and the fact that there was this... Uh, national competition um, that was run by women around the country but at the commission table it wasn't a topic and I will be forever grateful to two women and that's Jan Cooper out of WA who was running the WA Football Commission's uh, women's strategy and, and looking nationally about developing talent and the Marty Debbie Lee um, who together um, approached me and said in that first year of my commission will you come to one of the nationals, will you present some um, medals and will you meet the women of football and we want to talk to you about where women's football just must go. And those two women gave me the tip of, of what, what really lay beneath this ex, you know, extraordinary um, pool of, of women around the country that we just didn't know about at the commission. So from that moment, I decided I'd go to as much women's football as I could. I probably went to as much women's footy as men's footy over the course of my time on the commission. Um, then Linda Desso was appointed to the commission, the second woman, and so I had a, um, a kind of um, comrade in arms that we would go out to women's games all over the place as well as their other duties. And I just we just had to build the momentum and had to build the top the discussion at the commission and with the club presidents and with the club chief executives to try to get them um, interested in the idea of something much bigger than just the existing arrangements for women. And that then led to the creation of the exhibition teams from Melbourne and, and the Bulldogs. You know, slow start, but it was to try to prove the point that women could play at the most senior level and it was incredibly watchable footy and that people would come. And so, you know, it took, it's taken a decade to get to, um, through that process to where we got to on the weekend. But it was really, you know, the, the inspiration of Debbie Lee, Jane Cooper and, and all the women around them over many years, Lisa Hardiman, um, you've already mentioned a number of the women, um, Nicole Graves, um, Shiloh Curtis, um, Julia Price. So there were so many women doing this, um, but they needed a voice at the commission table. 
You mentioned about the uh, first ever exhibition game, which was, of course, 2013. Uh, when did you feel at the commission table they were starting to notice or start to, at least around the edges, consider the concept of a women's competition? Um, I think with the incredible support of the Melbourne Football Club and the Western Bulldog Football Club, so their passion, people emerging like Sue Alberti, who was putting her own enormous effort and money back backing this, um, and in the team at Melbourne, and, and her the appearance of these superstars in the making, like Davey Pearce um, and others, Katie Brennan and others, it, it just became, people got a feeling about it. And I think one of the big turning moments was for both Mike Fitzpatrick, who was then, the, you know, by, the, by this stage, is the chairman of the commission, and Gil McLaughlin were actually coming to the games with their families. And then most importantly, coming down with me into the rooms to see the girls either before or after the game. And I think we had to break the barrier of um, men administering the game, thinking that somehow women think about footy differently or approach the game differently. And it was getting them down into the rooms to watch a group of women recovering from these incredibly tough games and to see that they were just like the men would be in the rooms afterwards. And so I think it would be absolutely fair to both Mike and Gil. Once they got it, they got it deeply. And um, they were. it didn't take much then for Gil, I think, just to say... Um, he wanted to set a timetable and get out there um, ahead of where the commission might have been. So he announced the 2017 timetable for a, at least the start of a national competition without actually bringing it to the commission. Um, I mean, he knew he had general support, but that, that moment of just saying, I'm going to do it, let's not wait till 2020, let's go 2017. I think you'd have to ask Gil himself, but I think part of it was just he sensed the emotion, he sensed that there was something that the AFL hadn't yet tapped into in the in the fan base and the audience for this footy. And I think he felt a deep sense of respect for women footballers who until that point, I think, had felt quite neglected at the national level. Was there a bit of shock with the commission once that date was announced that we're not doing 2020, we're doing 2017 and the enormity of the task to start a brand new competition? Well, I think the great thing about being on the commission is you get to see how such a professional organisation like the AFL um, works and you know, when you get leaders like Andrew Dimitriou, who had you know his own style and was able to go out ahead of things and announce targets and all sorts of things, you see that also in Gills. Different style, but a same um, degree of capturing the moment and saying, you know what, I'm just going to set a timetable and we'll work back from it. And I don't think in the end it mattered that it wasn't formally approved by the commission because we had been we had been talking about this, we had been reflecting on the success of the exhibition games. Um, we've been talking to the clubs who were, were saying that we're ready for something, we're ready for taking another step and having the clubs help to develop the, uh, the pathways and to take control of teams. And I think it, w- it was almost the most important thing that Gil did was just to say, you know what, if I don't set a date and get it out there, it, it won't happen the way we need it to. So I think in those moments, the Commission is, um, is always grateful for that kind of leadership. Um, careful that it hasn't sort of pushed us or that knows that and pushed us too far ahead of ourselves. But um, on reflection, despite the fact that we were all a bit sort of surprised, I think in the end we were just delighted that he'd taken that leadership um, and grabbed it and then put the commitment and his own resources of his team together with the clubs behind um, what you then see play out over the last weekend. At that level as well, is there much consideration of what other sports are doing? Because around that time, uh, the Matildas were performing well, obviously, in soccer, even though the W League's still quite weak. Uh, Over the last year and a bit, we've seen the uh, Women's Big Bash League uh, get ratings and primetime coverage. Did that almost force the hand of, if we don't do something now, we could be left behind? There's 
always that issue of competitive tension and looking around at what your um, fellow sports leading organisations are doing and we were mindful of that. I think we also, I think Gil and the, and the Commission and Gil's team were very, very conscious too that those exhibition games, particularly the last one where the television viewing numbers were just so staggering, you know, over a million people watched that on the Seven Network and I think when the numbers came in, that, that, sort of, that was a shockwave in to say, actually, there's a market for us in women's sport. Um, this isn't just a, a roll-off from um, the Big Bash or from what's happening in other sports. This is our product and people are going to come to it in big numbers. So I think there were lots of indicators. And, and ASL, I think, has always been very conscious of the fact that if you don't continue to invest in the game and think about where your future is, there's a huge potential for your market to be taken out by others. And, of course, if you think about soccer, which has an international dimension, it has, we've got a you know, very, very culturally diverse community now with lots of people who arrive in Australia with a love of soccer, and we have to introduce them to Australian rules football. So there's all sorts of things that mean that the soccer story and momentum was, was gaining a lot of traction. And importantly for families, girls and boys could see a future for themselves in soccer where only boys could see a future for themselves in Australian rules football. So all those things, I think, were factors in our thinking, and particularly for Gil to say, uh, we've just got to make a move and back ourselves into this and, and give it the right resources and do what the AFL does, which is do it professionally and bring in the clubs, put the resources into it, rely on the experts and then trust the market, trust the fans. I think it's safe to say coming into this weekend, all the supporters of women's footy had their fingers crossed, their toes crossed, that there wasn't going to be empty seats, there wasn't going to be a chance for the doubters to come out and say, look, see, we told you so. Uh, For yourself, Sam, what was your genuine hopes for the competition before this extraordinary weekend of football? Well, I've got to say, if you talk to a number of the women who had been involved in this in such a long time, and I'm not just talking about me, I'm talking about the women who inspired me to give it a bit of a voice, but there are a group of us that would say we're not surprised. We we were probably very calm about the fact that um, all that we'd been talking about over a number of years about both the quality of the players and the pipeline of talent coming and the interest in the fan base, we all sort of felt it was all ready to go and we trusted our instincts and we trusted the women. And so I, what, what's done to me was just the, the sheer scale of the numbers. I didn't ever think there'd be an empty stadium. Um, I was so glad when the, the decision was taken to move to Icon Park or Princess Park because I thought um, a smaller venue than that was, was going to be well and truly inadequate. So smart planning on behalf of the AFL to do that uh, during last week. Um, I think the people who are, who are trying to surprising are those that really haven't ever thought about this deeply or hadn't been to a women's game before and hadn't seen the excitement and, and, and hadn't read the passion that exists across the broader, um, not just the footy-loving community, the community to come along and, and champion women um, in these new roles. So I was overwhelmed with excitement and um, delight for the players and for all those women who worked so hard for this that people did come out in such great numbers. Um, but I wasn't but I, but I never had a fear that no one would turn up because I think that's, if you've been involved in this for a while, um, as many of your listeners have, um, and you know the history of how many great women, hardworking women, unsung heroes have worked on this, we all had a sense that um, we were tapping into a group of people who were just waiting to be respected and waiting to be put on that stage. Well, of course, you're no longer on the AFL Commission, so we can ask you, I guess, from your personal point of view, where do we go from here? We've had such a great start in round one. What is at least the short-term future for women's AFL? 
Well, the short-term future, I mean, I, I, I can't speak on behalf of the AFL at all, so I'm not privy to what deliberations they'll have this week when they, they review what happened over the weekend. But as now a private citizen who just loves the game, um, what I'd say is we have to build on the success of this weekend. I don't think we can expect to see quite that level of momentum um, continue to grow at that level. I think what we'll see is um, people coming to this um, this part of the game now in very, very good, strong numbers, but getting to un- understand where the game fits relative to their, the other footy they're watching. So we've got to be ready for, a, a, you know, this next eight weeks will be thrilling and exciting. There'll be a brilliant grand final. Um, and then we've got to prepare for the next season and make sure that um, the pathways are committed to, that the clubs are already licence holders continue to support the, the girls and have all of the processes in their clubs to keep doing that, that the provisional licence holders get a sense of what that means for when the next two clubs can come along um, to, to build it to a 10-team a um, competition. And then I, I would imagine the Commission will work with Gil to work out over what period of time you build to a, um, a bigger number of clubs, eventually, I hope, to all clubs. And, in fact, Jan Cooper's words to me back in 2005 was that the brand vision should be a fully integrated women's competition using um, the then 16 clubs, now 18 clubs, um, as the home of, of women's and men's football. Now, that's going to take several years, I think, because you, if, given the standard of football we saw over the weekend, it's going to take a few years to make sure that the talent pools and the opportunities for young women who are coming across from other sports or are coming up through the ranks um, and through the, the various state competitions are at the re- uh, uh, they're ready to start filling those new teams. So it'll be um, I think it'll be a measured, deliberate uh, approach that pays honour and respect to all the women who want to play at that level. Um, I, I suspect there'll be a conversation about the funding of it. Although we've now seen so many new sponsors come into footy who've never sponsored footy before, so there's a whole new market of sponsors. There's a new market of fans. A new, there's a whole new base of people taking out club memberships based on AFL women's. And um, and I think there'll be lots of reflection on um, what does this mean over a 10 or 20-year journey, just as it was for the men when the VFL became the AFL and became the great national competition we have today. So I think they'll do it in a very considered, deliberate way, um, but not lose any of the excitement and commitment to all the women involved. Sam, just one last thing before we let you go. Can we have a tip for the flag and the best and fairest? Oh, oh my goodness. I'm not going to touch the best and fairest, to be honest, because I just think we're going to see some spectacular um, women emerge. You know, there were new names jumping out of us um, on, you know, across the, the whole weekend, names that we weren't expecting to see, like um, Darcy and um, you know, Martin Murphy at Carlton described her as the best number three at the club. Um, you know, in a way that says we've got these emerging talented women we, we hadn't recognised before. Um, of course, a number of the girls are already known to the community, Mo Hope and Meg Hutchins and Daisy Pierce. I mean, I could go on and on. But I think we're going to see some people emerge where um, they're going to really come to the fore over the next eight weeks or seven weeks to go. So I'm not going to call the best and fairest. And I've got to say that I got very confused over this weekend because there were some some remarkable things going on um, with the standard of, of play and with, I think, some of the favourites. And the Bulldogs got had a great win um, against the Dockers, but the Dockers came out in that first quarter with some of the most skillful footy. Um, so be interested to see what the Dockers do in the next few weeks. Um, Carlton surprised us, you know, with its um, its just sheer brute strength and 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 devote and, and um, excitement of the game on Friday night. Um, Adelaide, I mean, they, they were all just producing outcomes that we were all just so delighted to see. So I, I don't think I can even call the winner. I, I, all I hope is that the AFL puts on a wonderful show for the grand final and thinks about what 
that will mean in a historic sense to actually watch those final two teams play for the first Premiership Cup for the AFL Women's League. Um, and whoever those two teams are, they'll be doing it on behalf of all the women across all the clubs who were the, the history makers this weekend. Sam Moston, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy. And, of course, uh, we wish you all the very best as a private citizen as you either go to the ground at sit at home and watch women's footy. And thank you for all that you do for uh, women and girls in footy. It's, you know, you, you've been onto this for a while and um, this is the future of footy. Former AFL Commissioner Sam Moston. Let's head overseas on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast, specifically to Europe, where we have two special guests. The first is the newly appointed women's coordinator at AFL Europe. You may know her as a footballer with the Wimbledon Hawks in the AFL London Women's League. Her name is Lisa Wilson. Lisa, thanks very much for joining us here on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast and congratulations on the new role. Thank you. It's a... Great to be involved in AFL at the highest level I can be over here in Europe and I'm really looking forward to being able to have as much influence as I can over footy here. So can you explain to us uh, at home here in Australia, what does the women's coordinator role entitle at AFL Europe? What will be your responsibilities? Footy for women in Europe hasn't really been around for that long. Um, We've had girls playing dotted around uh, the continent for a few years so there's been girls playing up in Scotland for around seven years obviously the girls have been playing over in Ireland for a while but in mainland Europe so um, France and Scandinavia it's really sort of a, a, a new sport and they're sort of jumping on with with the men's teams that have been around for a while so really I've, I've um, been brought on to try and increase the participation of, of the women playing across the whole of Europe but also to strengthen the, the current teams that we have um, so mainly this year looking at getting Ireland, Great Britain and the European Crusaders team over to the International Cup in August. That's going to be a big task in itself. But let's just focus in on the moment uh, into the European area. I know, for example, that uh, we've got coming up on the 11th that uh, the AFL London Women's League's having a big uh, tryout session to try and get those uh, new to join the game. I guess is that the type of thing you're looking at to happen in France, Denmark, Germany, etc., to try and start building to these tryout days, to hopefully start building to, let's say, two teams in every country to try and start building up slowly? Yeah, so really the the taster session that we've got on Saturday, we set that up because we've seen a massive growth in, in football in London. So for the last two years, we've had four teams playing. And due to the success that we've had with those four teams, we're actually going up to eight teams this year, um, which is going to be three new clubs and then one of the clubs is fielding a second team. So really, you know, we're, we're jumping in numbers hugely there. And so we decided to do a bit of a recruitment drive to see if we can uh, get more girls playing across all of these eight teams or seven clubs. And, and really on my own agenda, I was really looking to try and see if we could recruit some from more Brits for the GB Swans and also to see if we can pick out any elite girls. Um, so, yeah, one of the aims that I've set down for, for this year is I, I want to get some taster sessions around across the continent. Um, we've already penciled another one in, which is actually going to be in, in Wales, um, because the, the Welsh uh, chairman has contacted me saying that he, you know, he really wants to, to grow the sport over there, looking at getting a Welsh team to the Euro Cup this this um, August. Uh, oh no, it'll be in October, sorry, in, in Toulouse in France. And, and also uh, one of the other countries where we've had a couple of uh, girls getting contacted is, is in Germany. So I think Germany is going to be another another one of our, our focuses. Um, but of course, the, the, the countries that have already got these, these pioneering girls 
um, going strong, so France and, and Denmark and Sweden, I'll be looking to help them out with, with recruitment drives where I can. I guess one of the advantages of the European continent is that the countries are obviously so close. As you know, an hour or two trip uh, between countries is uh, quite common. And I guess that also presents the opportunity that uh, you don't have to uh, have clubs technically playing within their country. They can play their neighbours next door because it's not that far to travel. Yeah, so for example, the Scandinavians tend to travel across their borders quite a lot to play against each other um, as the, 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 they only have one team each and they tend to be the sort of national representative team as well. So they're often, they've had a bit of a league trying to go with the, the Danish, famous Swedish and, and, and the and Norwegians. Um, but really, as much as that is, you know, a positive, it can also be a bit of a negative because we need to make sure that we're not getting all the girls flocking to where the, the strong leagues are we need to make sure we're setting up new leagues for example in England we would try to avoid too many people coming down to London because that will detract from us trying to grow the, the league that we want to build in central and north east England um, so at the moment we're trying to develop a, a Manchester team and a Nottingham team and um, a Newcastle team for example um, but yeah so it is a positive because it means that with tournaments it's easy to get more teams there and we, we can play against each other but we also need to make sure we're focusing on trying to grow them from their own countries uh, getting as many nationals involved as a sport as possible because that's, that's the way to grow it and make it sustainable. And you did mention Nottingham. They just uh, had last Saturday their own taster session. How did that go? Yeah, it sounds like they had quite a few new girls down. Um, but we're finding more and more lately that we're recruiting more girls than we are boys at some of these sessions. So um, that's really good by them and they should be fielding, fielding um, a full team soon. And um, they, the, the team's made up a lot of uh, some of our strongest GB Swans players and so they've been recruiting a lot of girls from their sort of soccer team and um, so it's really good to see them going from strength to strength and what Laura's doing there is amazing I think she'll be setting a bit of a plan up that will the other clubs in, in England and hopefully will share it across Europe as well can use in, in a pathway to build up their clubs. Of course, the AFL women's competition kicked off last weekend. The great news is it's being shown for free overseas, uh, uh, streamed online via uh, watchafl.com. How important is that uh, for you trying to recruit players overseas that you can point them to a website and you can show them, here's the vision of matches of women playing football at the elite level right now? Oh, it, it's huge. It was such a momentous occasion, occasion for us here. The, the GB Swans girls have been talking about it for ages. We've um, we've been watching the practice matches or listening to them when we can and discussing what, what we see. And um, I actually took the day off on Friday to, so that I could watch the game because obviously it's it's in the morning here. Um, and we've we've got a, a tipping account as well between us. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 so good to be able to, to share with with anyone to to see these girls playing. And um, I work in a in a company that very dominated by women and I've shared it um, across across them and they're, they're all amazed to see the, these girls playing at, at such a high level um, and yeah it's a, it's a real selling point um, we've got a bit of a target I've been working with AFL England's performance um, lead Jason Hill uh, trying to contact more universities to get elite athletes um, so that's something that we're going to be working on and when we can show these uh, head of performances at universities that there's actually women playing at this high standard it's something that they can actually look at and go okay you know there may be opportunities for, for our elite girls here um, so yeah we're, we are all loving it over here and I just can't wait for round two 
You alluded to earlier about the AFL London Women's League. Of course, um, it kicked off a couple of years ago, four teams. It got stronger last year by having those four teams all being able to field 18 sides. This is proper football as opposed to the US where they play a lot of uh, nine-a-side uh, footy. Um, and now, obviously, you said you want to go for an 18 competition. What have your tactics been like to try and reach out and find women? Obviously, we know there's a lot of Aussie expats overseas, but obviously trying to find British women and uh, women from Europe that have located uh, to the UK to take up this game? Um, any means possible, to be honest. We uh, one of the, we found that one of the biggest is, is, is word of mouth, really. So for our clubs, it tends to be everyone asking, you know, colleagues at work, or it, it tends to be that girls play a lot of other sports. I think I think it's a well-known fact that girls tend to play a, a larger range of sports than, than boys do focus on one. So we have a lot of girls who, in the winter season, play football or rugby or basketball, and then they will come and play another sport at, at summer. Um, so that's one of the focus that we've had, is trying to look at these other sports and seeing if we can bring them over to, to play AFL. Um, and then also, you know, social media is, is the biggest tool that we use and we've been reaching out to, to anyone we can and I mean as I'm sure it is in Australia there's so many advocates for, for women in sport here and, and our women in sport network have you know tweeted the event and I've been along to a couple of these events to try and network with, with other uh, sports to see how they do it and how they're growing it over here um, so really just you know trying to get my fingers in many pies as possible and use as many channels as we can to, to bring girls over to the sport and I think we have a really high retention rate when girls tend to come and, and play the game they, they really enjoy it and they stick around so that's, that's a real positive we can take I guess the one thing we also need to touch on as well, as much as we've been talking, uh, again, in Canada, the US, and now in uh, England and throughout Europe about uh, players joining the game, what has it been like to try and attract volunteers? Because obviously we need the umpires, uh, field, goal, boundary. We need the water carriers. We need the committee members. How's it been trying to find the people behind the scenes? Well, um, the, the club that I play at, the Wimbledon Hawks, um, when we're talking about behind the scenes, we really have one woman who pretty much runs the whole show. Um, she's, she's called Sarah and she's amazing. She's been doing it for the, for the last couple of years. Um, she got involved because her, her husband was involved. And, you know, the amount of effort that she puts into it is, is incredible. Uh, and she just does it because she loves, you know, um, pushing the sport for the girls and, and the guys as well. But I think she's really enjoyed having the women's team over the last two years. Um, in terms of uh, umpiring as well, last year at our pre-season cup, the... Um, the, the president of the club who ran this pre-season cup uh, made a um, made it had an idea where he asked as many girls to umpire one or two games, and if they did, he gave them drinks vouchers for that evening. And so there was a small group of us that were like, "Well, you know, for a few drinks, we can try out umpir- umpiring." Um, so I, I umpired at that pre-season cup, and then. Um, last last year, I umpired nearly every weekend. I, I injured my thumb, so I ended up doing that often. And I think um, seeing when when girls have seen another girl umpiring, it, it gets better. We're slowly growing the, the the number of female umpires. And just recently, we've had a, a girl contact us who's been um, umpiring for nine years in Melbourne, and she's just moving over to London, and so she's going to get involved with, with AFL London. So I'm really excited to meet her because I think that'll be really good to get, to get more women on board. Um, and, and with coaches as well. So uh, the Hawks, again, we have two female coaches this year. Uh, the, I know that the Wandsworth Demons have a, a female coach. The, the Giants have had a female coach for the last two years. 
Um, and when it comes to our national teams, obviously we have um, Lauren Spark, who is the, the GB Swans assistant coach, and England Vixens had two female coaches as well. So the, the figures across the whole board but for women is it, just insane, and it's only going to get better. And have you been able to use that as a selling point? You mentioned the name Lauren Spark. Lauren, of course, was uh, recruited by the Western Bulldogs. Uh, Kate Shearlaw was recruited by the Carlton Blues. Both, of course, uh, even though Aussies technically recruited straight out of the Wimbledon Hawks. Yeah, yeah, Kate, Kate especially. So you know, if we if we saw Kate's name on a on a on a team sheet, it would say that she's come from Wimbledon Hawks. Uh, frustratingly for us, uh, Lauren has decided to put a Melbourne Uni down most of the time. But we need to get someone to change that to Wimbledon Hawks because you know she's she's one of our um, biggest stars we've had. So, um, but yeah, that, that, again, that, that's one of the things where you're saying it makes it realistic that this could be a pathway to elite sport for some players that. Kate only ever started it over here. We, we put that compilation video over together and she got drafted as a rookie. And, and we're really hoping that um, at IC17, the teams are going to be um, sending scouts to the competition because we, we would absolutely love to get uh, some of our girls um, taken on board. And I think it's amazing how much the AFL looks at international players and, and brings them on as rookies. So um, hopefully they can follow what they've been doing with the men and we can we can get some women over there. Uh, we're hoping as well. It's not not because a lot of the focus has been placed on the Irish, but we, you know, we've got elite girls of of, of all of all countries here. Um, for example, I was at a tournament the other day, and there was this six foot two Estonian girl. I think that's something like one eight eight centimeters or something, and she'd never played before. And she picked up the ball, and she, we put her in the rook, and she was absolutely amazing. So. If we can show these girls that there is a pathway, which we can, because we can show them the examples of Kate and Lauren, then you know we're going to we're going to be getting the, these elite girls in. And, uh, of course, as well, the AFL, at least at the men's level um, in the US and in Ireland, have had these um, testing sessions, or you could call it mini-draft camps, where they've taken athletes from other sports and they've done the beep tests, they've done the jump tests, um, etc., to see if they can convert an athlete uh, from over there into playing Aussie rules. Is that something you're hoping for on the women's side? I know they are in the US, is to try and hold these type of uh, AFL official testing sessions over there to see if we can, you know, uh, prove that they are of that quality? Yeah, so we've actually, we've done one. And um, so two weeks ago or three weeks ago in, in Sheffield, we, we organized one for the GB Swans. Um, the main reason was it was a, a, to benchmark a lot of our girls so that we can look and see our improvements. Um, but it's also to, you know, show that uh, Great Britain, AFL and um, soon to be Europe as well, are, are really serious about trying to find elite players. And by having this first testing session, which, which was a success and we got some good results out of, we can start making these plans of how we can um, hold these sessions in, in other countries across Europe so we can start getting some data that we can hopefully share with, with um, AFL Europe. So I know that there's plans to try and do a really big um, European-wide testing session uh, sometime in 2017. The plans are in the really early stages at the moment, but it's something that we will we'll definitely share with you when we, when we work out more on that. And, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that's in the pipeline.
Uh, we spoke recently with Berenger Portel from France, of course, who's uh, heading up with the European Crusaders who want to come to uh, IC17 in August. And, of course, they've put their Make a Champ page out there. And when you crunch the numbers, it's like €70,000 for the full squad to be able to fly over and stay in Australia for a while and compete in the tournament, which roughly converts to about $100,000 Australian. Uh, for also, for the GB Swans team and the Irish Banshees, uh, what has the, uh, rec- the fundraising been like so far to try and uh, meet these costs to be able to fly the whole squad down? Yeah, I mean, that €70,000 probably doesn't take into account some of the personal spends and, and whatnot that the girls need. I think for the for the, the GB girls, we know that we've, we've penciled in about £2,000, um, so that's probably €2,500 at four $4,000, I suppose, for just for the flights and the kits and the, the accommodation and then obviously the personal spends on top of that. Um, we're, we're really lucky in the sense that um, we've got a very tight bond with the men's team, the Bulldogs. Um, we have a fantastic team manager, Jason, who has been working tirelessly to, to pull in sponsorship. Uh, we've, we've had a, a couple of um, minor sponsors pull in, but the, the path away that we've uh, taken at the moment is to do a sponsorship raffle. So we have raffle tickets that we sell for uh, £100 in companies or individuals can um, buy as many of these raffle tickets as they want and then you know uh, prizes one to four are, are different sponsorship um, places on our shirts and website and whatnot so it's a it's a quite a, a novel way that we've heard has, has worked before for other teams I think Ireland has done that in the past so that's the route that, that Great Britain are going with um, I can't speak for Ireland I'm not sure what, what their plans are at the moment but given that this is not their first IC I'm sure they've got some plans in place to make sure that the girls are all catered for um, but we're, we're really hoping with, with the growth of uh, women's football across uh, well just women's sport in general across you know Europe and the world that there's going to be more and more companies that want to get behind this when it comes to their corporate social responsibility and we're really reaching out to as, as many people as we can and hopefully we can we can get sponsorship on, on any forms whether it's as, as players or as a team um, but yeah we're, we're all, always, always looking for help um, so you know we, sh- thank, we thank you for every time you share our social media because it, it really does help and Lisa, just one last thing before we let you go. A quick plug again for uh, those that uh, might have friends over in the UK or be listening over in the UK. Uh, what about this AFL London Women's League uh, taster session uh, tryout day coming up this Saturday? Yeah, so it's, it's um, at Victoria Park at 1pm. Uh, it's going to run for about two hours. We've, we're going to have uh, representatives from, from all the clubs there and we're going to be going right down to basics. We're going to do some skill sessions um, and then you get a chance to, to speak to the different clubs and we'll be sending out information afterwards. Then, then after the session, we're going to head to a nearby club and we're going to stream the, the most recent game that will have happened that, that morning for the girls to watch so they can put what they've seen um, but they've played on the field onto a big screen and see how you know how that translates. So, yeah, if we can get people sharing the word of that event, that, that'll be absolutely amazing and, and hopefully it means that We'll be putting out um, eight to 18 aside teams every week this year. Well, certainly some exciting things happening there in the AFL London Women's League. And Lisa, we wish you all the very best in your new role as women's coordinator at AFL Europe. Talking about Europe, let's meet one of the players from that side of the world in France. She'll be playing for the European Crusaders at the International Cup in 2017. That's, of course, if they can raise enough money to fly the team over here. Her name is Berejep. 
Port Talent. She joins us on the line. Berenger, uh, thanks for joining us. Of course, the Crusaders made their uh, 18-a-side uh, debut at the AFL European Championships in London last year. Uh, can you tell us what the experience was like for the team in their first 18-a-side tournament? Oh, it was a great experience. I was not on the, in the team as, as I was injured, but uh, most of the girls um, didn't play them. Uh, 18 aside before, so they learned to play it, and it was really a great experience for them. They had a lot of fun, and which is again, which is better, it is that um, it's a team that gather a lot of people from different countries, different cultures, and we gather all together around the same spirit and the same passion. So it's it's really great. Look, you had about 15 or 16 players then for that European Championship and you borrowed a few players uh, from the London competition to make up enough numbers. Um, So how many players do you hope to have in your squad that's going to travel to Australia for um, IC17? And uh, from what parts of Europe will they be coming from? Yeah, we didn't have a full team for the European Championship and the Irish and the British players help us to 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 have a uh, 18 team so thanks to them again um for the international cup we hope to have at least 23 or 24 players even if we are uh, more it would be even better but uh, they'll come from a different country for now we can have uh, danish sweden uh, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, uh, Poland, Croatia, uh, and France, and Italia. That's a whole big collection of... Yeah, a whole big collection of players throughout Europe. Um, so will there be a chance for the team to train or play together before you head to Australia for IC17? It will be very difficult for, for us to train all together, but we, we, we should see everybody at the, um, at the next competition, so the Champions League in April, next April. So um, at least we'll see each other, we will learn to know, uh, to, to know everybody better, um, but we won't train together during this period, I think. Uh, but we plan to come a little bit earlier before the International Club so we can train together and learn to play together too. Um, uh, currently, there's 11 teams that have nominated for uh, IC17. And of course, that could change. There could be more, there could be less by the time we get close to the start date. Um, would, would you like to see all the teams together in like one division where you know you might play against the stronger Great Britain team and Canada? Or, or would you like maybe perhaps two divisions? So the stronger teams play in one division and, and you play like with developing countries such like Fiji or Pakistan uh, in, in a lower grade? Mm, I think both solutions could be could be good but uh, I might prefer to have um, uh, only one division because I think that if we play against the stronger the strongest teams uh, we can learn more and have more experience about the game so it would be great even it would be it would be very hard for us but it could be a great experience Indeed, I guess that's the way to learn. And uh, when you come over to Australia, um, it, it's going to be quite a task. Can, can you explain the cost for each individual player and, in fact, the whole squad to travel to Australia and play in the tournament? Yeah, actually, the, um, the trip is very expensive for us. Uh, I think it would, co- it would cost around 
3,500 euros to, to go up there. And so between uh, 3,500 Australian dollars and 4,000. Um, and in this cost, we count the flight ticket, the return ticket, which is very expensive, uh, accommodation, and the playing uh, playing gear. So for all the team, it could cost us around 70,000 uh, 70, euros to, to go there. Which in Australian dollars terms is about $100,000 Australian just to be able to come down and uh, play. So for you, uh, how are you going to raise that money? And, um, you know, for, for, for this money, you know, what does it all cost? I think you said it's going to cost uh, flights, accommodation. I think you have to pay entry fees, kit. There's a lot that has to be brought. And I guess we have to, to raise enough money to, to at least uh, pay a part of uh, this cost, so maybe a part of the flight ticket or the accommodation. Um, but we are trying to find several solutions. Firstly, we just launched a donation platform with uh, makeachamp.com. Uh, so it was just a week ago, so we, are, uh, we hope that they can help us a lot. A lot. Um, and after that, we maybe work on um, a raffle or for companies or little businesses. And so the winners could uh, win, uh, will be able to have their logo on our jumper, for example. But very, our, main, our main thing is our makeachamps.com uh, um, platform. I was going to say on that front, have you been able to attract any sponsors yet to try and uh, help cover that cost so you can get to Australia? Yeah, we, we we're trying to, to spread the, the words of um, our project. So, and we hope that we can find something, even if it would be very hard, as in Europe, the spot is not very famous. Um, but we're trying with our, all our contacts to, to to make our team um, known around us. So we're trying to, to have that sponsors. Well, if there's anyone listening and they would like to consider sponsoring uh, the European Crusaders and, you know, getting the name on the jumper or on the shorts or on the training gear, um, who can they contact? How can they go about trying to help sponsor uh, the European Crusaders in the International Cup? Uh, actually, everything would be at full, but um, if uh, someone wants to to, to, to join the, our project, um, they can make firstly a donation on our makeachamp.com platform, but also they can contact us. We uh, we have created a Facebook page about the European Crusaders IC17, so they can contact us through this page. And, uh, and we can talk about it better. Berenger Portel, thank you very much for joining us here on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. We wish you all the very best in your fundraising efforts. Hopefully more sponsors and more people make donations so that the European Crusaders can come out to Australia in August and take part in the 2017 AFL International Cup. And don't forget, you can find them on social media. Just search for European Crusaders or contact them through AFL Europe. They'll put you in the right direction.
I'm Peter Holden. You are listening to the GirlsBayFooty.com podcast. Now let's come back home to Australia and specifically to Melbourne with the Victorian Amateur Football Association. Up until, well, this year, it was a male-only league where more than 70 clubs, it was the biggest community league in Australia, and they announced late last year that they were going to start up a women's division. They were hoping for maybe 10, 20 teams that would uh, express an interest. In fact, they may have 40 teams participating in their debut year. That is extraordinary. And the woman in charge of looking after it all, the Women's Football Development Officer at the VAFA, is Shona McInnes, and she joins us on the line. Shona, thank you very much for sparing us a few minutes in your busy schedule. So tell us, how did you, first of all, originally get involved in footy? Peter, my football background is from community football, which I think actually probably a lot of women who are in footy now, that's where we had to start because in those days there weren't jobs for women in footy. So I started um, back with the being involved with the University Reds and the Melbourne University Football Club and University Blues. And then uh, when I went on and had my own kids, I got involved in junior footy and I was on the committee at uh, the Q Junior Footy Club, the Q Comets, and I was president there for a few years. And... Then I went back and did another stint with um, the Melbourne University Football Club. So been around in community footy for a long time. And what a name that is, the Melbourne University Football Club. Uh, uh, there's always been a strong uh, women's club there, Melbourne University uh, Women's Football Club, and they've only just recently merged into the men's operation as well. They have. Well, I think a lot, what a lot of people don't um, realise is that women have been playing footy for, in Melbourne for quite a long time, and the VWFL started in 1981 and Melbourne University was one of the um, earlier women's clubs. We started in 1994 and we now have, or not we anymore, Melbourne University, Mugger's probably one of the strongest women's football clubs in Melbourne. And yes, they are now um, aligning themselves a little bit with the North Melbourne Football Club and are playing out in the Northern Districts competition as well. Let's talk about uh, the build-up to this VAFA uh, Women's Division. It was announced around roughly uh, November, December last year that uh, expressions of interest for the current Victorian Amateur Football Association clubs to uh, start up women's teams. There had already been some out there. Fitzroy, for an example, Ajax and Kevins that had uh, women's teams. What has the interest been like over the Christmas period? What numbers are you looking at that we could be running out in the park under the VAFA banner? Well, Peter, um, this time last year, I think, with the amateurs uh, had decided they should look into starting a women's competition. So around about the middle of the year, they rang around all our clubs. And for those people who don't know, the Victorian Amateur Football Association is the biggest community football association in Australia. And we have 73 clubs within our association. So about halfway through last year, we rang around and thought we might get 10 or 15 teams in the competition. So when I came on board in October last year, um, by then we were looking at maybe 20. And by the end of the year and now, we have 37 clubs who have signed up with a women's team. And three of those are going to have two teams. So we will go into our competition this year with 40 teams, 40 women's teams, which is awesome. 
That is an extraordinary number, 40 women's teams. And let, let's yeah. just put this into context. You're starting up technically a new competition with 40 teams. Going back 36 years ago, 1981, the VWFL were trying to get off the ground with four clubs. Yes, I know. It's enormous. So, uh, And as you mentioned, we've got um, St Kevin's, Ajax, Brunswick, Renegades and Fitzroy who'd come in from the VWFL, um, and I, said, I don't know whether the listeners know that VWFL um, was disbanded last year so that women's football is now in line with men's footy. So we now have a national competition, the AFL, state competition, uh, the VFL, and then the big suburban leagues underneath that. So the amateurs are one of those. Uh, so we have... St Kevin's Ajax, Brunswick Renegades and Fitzroy came back to us from the VWFL and the other 36 teams have never played before. So they're brand new. Uh, a couple of them, I think, have played some friendlies, but they are brand new teams. Uh, so We will have probably a 1,000 girls in our competition this year. Most of them have not played footy before. That presents a, a logistical challenge going forward. How do you look at that? You've got 40 new teams that got to be on a park. So obviously, if everyone's playing each other, you've got 20 games that are happening. Are you looking at, um, say, just Sunday football spread evenly between Saturday, Sundays? What, what's the thinking going into this? So how are we going to set that up? We obviously have to have some grading rounds because the 36 teams that we don't know anything about... So we're starting our, our team. Our, sorry, our competition actually begins on the weekend of the 8th of April. So we're going to run three grading rounds, and what we'll do is we will split those 36 untried teams into six groups of six in regions, and they're going to play three grading rounds. So we get some sort of idea of where they're all at. And meanwhile, the four other teams will keep. Uh, will they'll start their home and away season. At the end of the grading rounds, we're going to try and um, rank the teams in some sort of order and split them into divisions based on that. The top four will go up and join the existing teams into our Premier League and they'll play out uh, another 11 rounds of home and away. And then in August, we start finals. It is one. I'm hoping it's going to work. <laughs> it's it's certainly one heck of an operation to put together because the one thing that we think about is it's not just players going onto the park. It's obviously, for example, you're employed. Officials have got to run the competition. We need umpires out there. We need water carriers out there, physios, trainers, etc. There's a lot of people behind the scenes just to get a thousand women out there on the park. Yeah, it's enormous. And look, for a start, even coaches. Um, we uh, at this stage I'm aware we have three female coaches I think most of the clubs have their coaches now so, but this is all something that we're looking to grow in the future so the girls that are coming through now um, we're going to run some coaching clinics and things like that we want them to start thinking about those sort of roles in the future and that's one thing to think about as well, that these coaches actually do have to go through what I call these little qualification courses, don't they? Which is usually like over a couple of nights. Yes, well, all our coaches have to be accredited. So they do a level one accreditation and that's run by AFL Victoria. Um, that's our men's teams as well. They're, they all have to be accredited. Uh, most of the coaches, though, that, that um, the clubs have engaged uh, have coached in other places. And a lot of them have had experience coaching women or junior women, uh, I think a few of them are, are new, so they will have to do their accreditation. Um, but look, it's what we're doing is we're really just setting the foundation this year 
for a hundred years or more of this competition. So we're all just learning together, um, setting things up and hopefully setting a good culture, getting good systems in place so that it will be a really successful and viable competition going forward. And if I read correctly as well, when the competition was originally being launched, there was talk of as well that particularly for some of the newer clubs that are starting up is that you're looking at uh, not playing the full 18 aside, looking at um, perhaps as, even as low as 12 aside, just to ensure that games happen. So what we're going to do, um, we have look, we, we looked at what the AFL have done with their women's competition with 16 aside. Uh, and, you know, I understand why they're doing that. And I think it probably is a, a good format for women's footy, keeping it a bit more open. But I think our, um, our aim is really to get the girls as much exposure to being out on the ground as possible. So we are starting with um, 18 on the ground, six on the bench, and um, and look what I've what I've observed going up to watch. I go around and uh, to watch the girls train and and meet all the the new officials, which is just awesome thing to do because they're they're just having so much fun. But I notice with the existing teams, the ones who've played in the VWSL, the girls at training are very confident and. Um, they're really just relaxed and the, the, the girls in the new teams are probably a little bit more wary. Um, so I want to just give them as much time out on the ground as possible. So we're starting off with 18 aside, but that may change in the future. And of course, uh, the VAFA uh, based out of Alstonwick Park, which has got the lights. Is there a chance we might see some women's footy happen under lights? Because I know, for example, you've got a lightning premiership coming up on the 1st and 2nd of April. We have. So what, what we thought we would do is um, is run a Lightning Premiership weekend. So there'll be a competition on the Saturday, um, the 1st of April, and another one on the Sunday. And that will be for the clubs just to have a hit out. Um, there'll be two 20-minute halves. Uh, when I, when, so it won't be under lights, so though. It's, it's starting at 9 in the morning, going from 9 till 4. And for us, it will also be a bit of an adjunct to our grading uh, competition. So we'll get a bit of a feel for where each team uh, is at in relation to all the others. So that's a pretty exciting weekend. I'm looking forward to that. One thing on the men's side is there's uh, been representative honours. We know the VAFA have taken on uh, uh, the South Australian Amateur Football Association. There was uh, the regular clashes against the Country League. Is this something that we could be seeing in the future, uh, a VAFA women's representative team? Oh, 100% we will be, yes. There's no doubting that. Uh, it won't be happening this year, but we will certainly start looking at that maybe next year or the year after. Depending on how our competition goes, um, how it progresses, that's the standard of it, um, those sorts of issues. But yes, no doubt there will be women's representative football. And Jana, just before we let you go, um, if anyone is looking to get involved, whether it's playing, whether it's coaching or even volunteering uh, with a club in the VAFA or umpiring, uh, how can they get in contact with you? So what they should do is go to the Victorian Amateur Football Association website, the VAFA, and uh, on that website you will find everything that you need to... I'm actually on the website. If you go to look at the staff, there's my email address is there. I'm happy to talk to anybody, email me, ask me. Already I've had girls emailing me saying, look, I live in this area. Can you suggest a club for me to go to? Uh, Always welcome, happy to talk to anybody. Shona McInnes there from the VAFA.
Now it's time to focus on the AFL women's competition. And if you're hiding under a rock somewhere, I can tell you last week that the winners were Carlton, Adelaide, the Western Bulldogs and the Brisbane Lions. Another exciting round of football to look forward to this weekend. And to dissect it all, we've got on the line the co-founder of GirlsPlayFooty.com, Matt Marsden. Matt, thank you very much for joining us. Another exciting round of football. Let's have a look at Friday night at VU Witten Oval, live on Fox Footy across the country. It is the Western Bulldogs hosting the Adelaide Crows. Both teams actually going into this game undefeated because, well, they both won last week. That's it. The 1-0 record, 100% of their games that they've played, they've won. Um, obviously, that's got to end on Friday night. And um, it's going to be quite a good contest. Adelaide's been uh, relatively surprising so far. They had a pre-season game against Fremantle and they uh, they did lose, but they performed quite ad- Admirably, and I think we were maybe expecting them to not be as good as they are. And, and then on the weekend against GWS, of course, we know GWS is going to struggle, but um, look, Adelaide played really good footy and it was wet conditions as well, but they moved the ball well and they've got a really good core of, uh, of forwards, midfielders and defenders to work around. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how they stack up against the, the doggies who are the premiership favourites on Friday night. Be interesting to see if the Crows can back up with the likes of Aaron Phillips, who uh, kicked three goals. If uh, Sarah Tex Perkins can get on to some more, she kicked one. Ebony Marinoff, of course, was uh, nominated as one of the NAB rising stars. Obviously, they've got Chelsea Randall, Courtney Crammy in their side, so they've got they've got some talent there. But when you say talent, well, the Western Bulldogs, Emma Carney, 20 plus touches last week on fire. Uh, you've got Katie Brennan in there, who won the battle against Antonio, Ali Blackburn, Jamie Lambert, and the list goes on. It just does go on, and it's well, like they've got a really good uh, underrated defence, and that showed itself against Fremantle, who have a lot of players that can break the arcs and run inside 50 and kick goals, and they didn't let anybody get free, those uh, those defenders. They're really well organised. Uh, we saw it in the pre-season against Collingwood. Very smart team, I think, and as you mentioned, that in midfield, good God. And, uh, we saw last weekend against Fremantle, Ellie Blackburn was tagged out of the game, and the problem with doing that is if you tag out Ellie Blackburn, Emma Carney's going to run all over you and, and she did and look we might even see something similar this weekend we might see Emma Carney get tagged out of the game and Ellie Blackburn go off so it is a, a big question mark of how you actually stop the dogs from being as effective in, in the midfield 5.05pm on a Saturday Icon Park better known as Princess Park Carlton hosts the GWS Giants and it should come with the old warning of kids look away now that's it if you're uh, a you somewhat feel a bit sorry for the Giants supporters who have, look, they signed up for memberships really strongly for the women's team, those supporters. They're really around it, but um, uh, as we've sort of seen in the preseason, they, the best players just keep dropping off like flies and currently playing without their two marquees. Of course, Renee Fourth out with uh, knee surgery and, and they missed Emma Swanson last week due to a hamstring injury and uh, questionable whether she'll be back for this contest. So they are playing without a couple of their stars and as we know, New South Wales football isn't the strongest in the country. Um, look, they, they had patches on the weekend where they played really good football and at times they, they could have got a whole lot more for their effort and it was more so just Adelaide playing good football, stopping them from getting that effort. But um, it, it's, it's one thing to do that against Adelaide and still lose pretty comfortably and then you're going over against one of the Victorian teams. Of course, we know the Victorian teams are quite strong and quite balanced. Um, you just don't see them being able to have much of an impact. 
particularly when you've got the likes of Bree Davy charging through the middle around centre-half forward. Jacobson putting her hands up, and then Darcy Vessio is just going to be running wild. They could be, ra- they could be really racking up a big score here. That's it, and look, uh, if Darcy Vessio was more of a selfish player, she might kick 10, but she's not. We certainly saw on the weekend she was lining up for a fifth and, and chipped it over to Lauren Arnell when she was 20 metres straight in front. So um, I think she's she's going to have a wonderful game again, Vessio. And, and uh, we've mentioned many a times during the preseason and last season that the question about Darcy Vessio was never about talent. She's got that talent to be a superstar player. It was more so about putting her in the number one role of a forward and, and giving her the best defender each week and can she do it and look she did a fantastic job last week against Nicholas Stevens who's rated as one of Victoria's best uh, defenders and she made her look silly really at times and um, look, we might be in for something quite special from Darcy if she's on and as you mentioned before Bree Davy, she's just a wrecking ball coming off halfback we thought we might see more of her through the midfield uh, in the AFL women's season but look off halfback she was a, she was just unstoppable you had no answer for her and I think that's going to be very similar again this weekend Saturday night, 7.40pm, the live free-to-air game is Collingwood versus Melbourne. Now, as we record this uh, program, I can tell you that they hadn't confirmed uh, where they were going to play the game. It looked like it was going to be definitely moved from Olympic Park Oval, but as we record, um, that venue change had not been confirmed. But anywhere that they hold it, Matt, um, this game is Russian roulette. Put one bullet in, spin the barrel, and try and pull the trigger because the side that loses will have two losses on the board and that is almost in territory of where you just cannot make the grand final. That's it, and it's such a, uh, a costly season almost in that having only the seven rounds, I mean, there is very, very little room for error, and as you mentioned, whoever loses this game is going to be 0-2, and, and I think three losses will knock you out of any chance of making the grand final, and two, you'll still be struggling. So uh, it is a, uh, it's funny to say because it's the second round, but it is a must-win contest for two teams that would have really hoped to have uh, a big say in the premiership race this year. I tell you what, there are concerns from Melbourne because big numbers were being racked up in disposals by Paxman, Pierce, and O'Day, but they only kicked one goal against the Brisbane Lions. And it should be pointed out that I guess their main key forward in, in Rochelle Cranston was rubbed out for a week by the match review panel, so she's out. That leaves question marks in their forward lines. Where are they going to get the goals? Well, that's the uh, the big question, isn't it? Of course, you mentioned that midfield group is very talented, of course, led by the three Darabin midfielders in Karen Paxman, Aliso Day, and, of course, uh, Daisy Pierce. And they're all goal-kicking uh, midfielders if they want to be. And I think they've, uh, they they can really link up the play quite well. So I don't think it's uh, it'll, it'll damage them too much trying to find a, a key target to mark to because they can run in and kick the goals. The question for me is going to be the uh, how they stop their opponents from from setting the tone of the game. And this is the the real interesting part of this game for me is that Collingwood played into Carlton's hands last Friday and Melbourne played into Brisbane's hands in the wet on Sunday. So they're both two teams that couldn't control the match from a tactical standpoint. So now you've got to wonder which team's going to get the upper hand in this one. I think that's going to go a long way to telling us who will win. The warning signs, of course, of Melbourne is that Mo Hope didn't kick a goal last week and almost like a caged animal, she's raring to go and uh, she can get one or two early. She could be on for a big one to make up for last week's disappointment. Well, not only that, Peter, but you date back to last year in the uh, the VFL Women's Finals. She was held goalless against Darabin and only kicked two cheapies in their uh, their preliminary final that they had. So um, it's now uh, in Moana Hope's 
standards or tour standards, it's a long stretch without kicking a bag. And um, I don't think that spells good signs for a Melbourne defence that is organised, but uh, they do have plenty of gaps and they're the sort of gaps that players like Moana Hope can break through and just have a huge impact. But the question about uh, Moana Hope is, is it's more so about the team playing to her strengths. We saw on Friday um, it was quite disappointing the way Collingwood played in that they put numbers back and leave Moana Hope forward uh, and then bomb the ball forward to her and, and she's in a three-on-one with no ground support coming uh, within 30-odd metres and you can't do that. And I think if you're going to have Moana Hope getting into the game, you need to play to her strengths because she is a player that wins games off her own boot. Well, the last game of the round is uh, 4.05 p.m. WA time, 7.05 p.m. Uh, in Melbourne, live on Fox Footy and uh, in Perth live on 7, mate. Fremantle versus the Brisbane Lions. Brisbane causing an upset last week. And boy, oh boy, if the door of opportunity was ever open for Brisbane, it is this week with the news that Ebony Antonio uh, was rubbed out for a week by the match review panel. And uh, that might be just the door, just slightly ajar, and maybe, just maybe, could the Brisbane Lions sneak another win? That's right, Peter. And look, this game in many ways is, is what you'd call a heat check for the Brisbane Lions, and that we want to, they want to get an indication of just how good they're going to be this year. And look, if they lose, which I, I suppose we probably expect, even with Ebony Antonio out, um, it, they're pretty much where we would have expected them to be. But if they win, uh, they've beaten Melbourne in a, a real dogfight, and then they would have beaten Fremantle over in Fremantle, probably in good conditions against the team that look weak as premiership favourites at one stage and if they can beat them then suddenly you start talking about how far you can go this year. Well the interesting thing is regardless of the Dockers results they've got a game against GWS the week after which I guess they'll be penciling that in as a win. Uh, For the Brisbane Lions if they manage to get a result two wins on the board then the next week they're back at home against a Collingwood side who only kicked a goal last week and all of a sudden the Lions will be going oh geez, we've got a sniff here. That's right, and as I mentioned, it is that sort of heat-check game to find out just where you stand in this competition, and that's one of the the wonderful things about the competition is we don't fully know who's going to be the standout this year, and I think if you said it would have been Brisbane Lions at the start of the season, it would have been a shocker, but again, that's the the magic of it is anybody can have an impact, and um, just on on mentioning Ebony Ebony Antonio earlier, Peter, I think that is a really important point. Uh, We do know that Taylor Harris is currently playing injured um, and having a a limited effect in the games because of those shoulder injuries she had, she was lifting weights and pulled out her shoulders and and still managed to play on the weekend, but um, certainly with Sabrina frederick Traub, if they decide to drop her back as a marking target. She's proved her, her wonderful contested marking skills multiple times in exhibition games and um, she can kick the ball quite well. That's the I think Frederick Fraub for me is the, the big key factor in this game. And the player that stood up for the Lions on the weekend, which is a great sign for Tassie footy, was Brittany Gibson. Well, I didn't see it coming, certainly. Um, I know Brittany Gibson's very well rated in Tasmania. In fact, a lot of people rate her as the top Tasmanian, uh, including Jessica Wuchner, who has excelled in the last couple of years um, as the top Tasmanian. And she certainly proved it. And um, without her, I don't think Brisbane wins because she was off halfback. She did everything that you want a player to do. She was breaking the lines in a game where players were quick to get rid of the disposal. She committed herself to the possession um, and I think she also got a goal for her efforts as well. So, um, And that was a 
vital goal as well from a set shot in horrible conditions that really set the tone for the second half. Just before I let you go, let's just run through the tips again one more time. Uh, first of all, starting off, Bulldogs and Crows. Oh, I've got to go Bulldogs. Carlton and GWS. Go the Blues. Collingwood and Melbourne. Collingwood. And the big one, Fremantle and Brisbane. Uh, sticking with Fremantle, I think. It's the only one I'll disagree with you on. I think I'll back the Lions. Matt, as always, thank you very much for your time. And I am out of time. That is the end of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for another week. I'm Peter Holden. Thank you very much again for your company. Don't forget to tell your friends that they can download this podcast by going to iTunes and searching for Girls Play Footy, by going to SoundCloud and searching for Girls Play Footy podcast, or tell them if they're in Melbourne to tune in to digital radio channel RSN Carnival Wednesday evenings from around 6pm. Until next time, it's bye for now.